This podcast is for mature audiences 18 and over and for entertainment purposes only. Please contact your healthcare provider before pursuing any of our topics discussed. You're listening to Eat, Play, Sex with Dr. Cat, the place to get play, sex, and nutrition talk straight to your ears. Hey lovers, welcome to another episode of Eat, Play, Sex. I'm your sex expert, Dr. Cat. So I've been obsessively listening to Desi Valentine's song, Shades of Love on repeat. Not yet to the point of being sick of it, but I'm probably on the verge of that happening here any second now. But that's not possible because if you've ever heard his music, you'd just vomit because of how amazing it is. All right. So the point is the song talks about how love comes in all shades, which makes me think about my own relationships journey and the myriad of types of deep, intimate love that I've shared, that I continue to share. And it's hard for me to categorize what they are per se, because the alchemy with each one of them has and is their own thing and continues to change. Ultimately, I'd identify myself as non-monogamous, meaning I don't follow the traditional sense of monogamy. And that's what we're getting into today. Not to convince you to do or be what we are all quote-unquote evolutionarily designed for, because I, I don't ascribe to that argument, but to help you start the personal exploration of what is right for you. And at the end of this exploration, if it is monogamy, if it is what the socially constructed idea of relationship is, then amazing, you can come to it and fully choose it powerfully as this is mine. I don't believe that there's one style of relationship that is more evolved than the other. It's all about finding what is right and what is true for you so we can have the relationship that is our dreams. But perhaps this has been something on your mind, you know, this idea of open relationships or polyamory. And because it's it's been talked about a lot, it's it's you know, uh, trendy. <laughs> but perhaps we have a relationship already. And we have this curiosity, you know, what do we do about that? How do we start the conversation in a way that doesn't hurt them or blow up what we already have? Now, I'm going to take you through the beginning stages of inquiry, of misconceptions, of early challenges, and then stay tuned to the end because I answer some of your questions you posted me from Instagram. All right. So like I said, this is a hot topic. We're seeing TV shows come out on Hulu about it. We see conversations and articles and and books being published around this concept of open relationships or non-monogamy, which let me start there, is an umbrella term that means any type of relationship style that is not based in the socially constructed idea of relationship, which is monogamy, or at least in our Western culture. Now, you may have also heard the term open relationships, and that usually refers to relationships in which there is a 
a unit, a partner unit, in which they then open for the possibility of having other sexual experiences outside of their relationship. Then you've also probably heard of polyamory, which refers to uh, people having the ability to have more than one love or more than one full-on relationship. Love is a possibility between more than um, a couple. And this can be where there is a you know, a, a primary partnership, or it can be that there is no hierarchy and everybody's on the equal playing ground. Then you also have swingers, which is a couple unit who then have sex with other people who are in relationship and um, you're, you're swapping partners. <laughs> so a lot of times that has more to do with just the sex and not so much about the uh, depth of emotional intimacy or creating a whole nother relationship. And then in any of those experiences, there's a myriad of other variations. So sometimes couples decide that they have a mon- what we call a monopoly, which is one person is polyamorous while the other person is monogamous by the choice and the agency of those people in that unit. That's what they decide. Um, a lot of times the monogamous person really just doesn't have a desire for, for engaging sexually or romantically outside of the unit. Then you have people who have relationships where there is the depth of the intimacy, but not the sexual aspect of it. So, so they can go really deep emotionally with people outside of their couple unit, but the sex just isn't there. So what I'm trying to get here is relationships are ours to design and to make whatever it is that fits us. And when we can question what is appropriate for me and my partner, then we can co-create something that is so much stronger than just adopting what somebody else had told us. And that's where we're going to start. Starting with this power of self-inquiry so that we have a good foundation to start the conversation. Because if we don't understand what the power of influence is on how we see what relationship means or what intimacy means or what fidelity means, then we're just kind of flying by the seat of our pants and it's less empowering for us. If we just figure it out as we go... There's a lot more room for error and making some of these stupid mistakes that can be avoided when we move forward with consciousness. And besides that, (laughs) going into the conversation with your partner and asking, you know, bringing up, hey, I'm curious about opening our relationship or I've always been interested in hooking up with other people outside of our committed relationship. And they might ask, what the fuck? (laughs) They might ask you, like, why do you want that? And the more work you do in understanding for yourself, the better of a dialogue you can have. So start by getting to know yourself through self-questioning. And I would begin with understanding what your influences of origin are. Our family and our primary caregivers were the first influence on our inner mind's infrastructure of what it means to be in a relationship. So we looked at our parents to see how how we relate 
how we take care of each other, how we take care of ourselves. And this imprinted on our brain the first infrastructure of what love means, of our own self-worth, of communication, of emotions. So what did your parents' relationship look like? You know, how did your parents express emotion? How did they express affection? What was intimacy, commitment, communication, trust? What did that look like in them? And how was their interaction towards you? You know, did you get your needs met? Were you able to vocalize what was going on inside of you? How did you ensure that you got your needs met by them? These are very telling, and I can imagine you can see their influences in how you're relating with your partner today. Now, this isn't to say that these things can't change because we do have the incredible ability of neuroplasticity, which means that we can change these internal belief structures and and the way that we see the world. The thing is, we first must become cognizant that they're there. We can't change anything if we're not aware of how they are influencing us. When we can recognize these, then it's almost like build a bear for adult relationships. We get to pick which parts we want to have in our relationship. And this is where the co-construction of it occurs. We can decide oh, these are the things that are running the script of how I see relationship. I want this one. I want this one. I don't want this one. (laughs) And we can build that for ourselves. And the same with our partner. We have these assumptions of relationships. And when we come together, a lot of times we can project onto the other person that they have the same idea of relationships or of roles that we do. And that's just not the case because they didn't have the same experience or the perception of experience that we did. Then we need to turn that inquiry around and focus it on ourselves. We are complex motherfuckers, and it would behoove us to know whether the answers to why we are drawn to doing this are answers that are aligned with us and our values. So I joke that in this lifetime, I made some sort of contract to experience every type of relationship situation or sexual experience in order to better help others, which isn't always a good thing. Sometimes, I swear to God, I just throw my hands up and beg the lessons to just start coming from a book instead of experiential. But in this regard, it was something I was really curious about and wanting to experience. But growing up in a small town in rural Missouri, we didn't have anything like non-monogamy. So it wasn't really a possibility in my mind until I moved to California and I started studying sexuality specifically. Then I became fascinated with this image of loving more than one person. I love love, even though it simultaneously scared the fucking shit out of me. I have a knack for leaning into my edges a bit. Uh, 
whether I like it or not. (laughs) I had read so much on the topic and worked with couples who were exploring it. So I could work with them from a space of a book knowledge and support. So being well-informed, but I hadn't embodied it just yet in my own experience. So I met someone years ago who was the first person who became my partner, who also shared that same curiosity. And so it began. When we're in the stage of curiosity for ourselves, let's ask ourselves those real hard questions. So get out your notepad and start writing these down. I've heard it all, honestly. Perhaps you're here because you read The Ethical Slut or Sex at Dawn and decided you were built for... Honestly, perhaps you're here because you read The Ethical Slut or Sex at Dawn and decided you weren't built for monogamy like everyone else, that you cheated on all your past relationships simply because you were not designed to be with one person for the rest of your life. And these books finally made it possible for you to say, hey, they really understand me. Or maybe you've convinced yourself that loving more than one person is an evolved state. And since you clearly are an evolved person, you can handle it. Or maybe the idea of being able to fuck other people outside of one person for the rest of your life sounds super appealing to you. Whatever your reason, honestly, (laughs) it's fine. As long as it's something that when you hear that answer come back, it feels okay. For, it feels good for you. You're like, yeah, I like the thought that that's the answer that came out for you. Who am I to judge whatever reasons that you feel are right for you? But by just stopping there, I believe that you are doing yourself a disservice because there are underlying pieces here that are influencing and these other answers may or may not support these initial desires. So I would question, what assumptions do you have about what a relationship should look like? And when you think about someone who has an ideal relationship dynamic, who do you initially think of? Maybe even think, drop into the the thought of what elements make up that relationship that I hold as ideal. When you think about the different types of relationships that you're interested in exploring or at least learning about, what are some of the initial fears, excitements, concerns that come up? How do you define commitment, trust, intimacy, and what constitutes fidelity? You know, are there specific actions that constitute as intimate, faithful, or not? And then I would wonder what that is for your partner. Because if the two of you see different acts as infidelity, then you're going to be hitting up against this wall again and again and again. One person gets triggered and the other one's like, no, but that's not cheating. And it, it ultimately... If the other person perceives that, then it's going to still be a relationship injury, even if you don't perceive it as such. Then I ask you, what do you want from your romantic life? What do you want from it? What do you want to gain? What do you want to give? 
And how do you even see the purpose of romantic relationships? For me, I see them as a container from which I can evolve myself and the other person. I also see them as a container of safety and this almost like a dojo, like you go into it and you do all the work and you're, you're faced with challenges and, you, and you're in it and you're doing it and this person is a reflection of you. And so whatever you're seeing in them is coming up in you. And so for me, it helps me to focus my energy and my efforts because I'm moving towards that intention. And when it's not no longer that, then, we, then I can look at, okay, is this still right for me and this other person? And then when we put this on the flip for our partner, you know, can we visualize our partner having sex with another person? Can we visualize our partner falling in love with another person? Now pause, I get it. Visualization is different than reality, like way different. And yet, if you can't even visualize it, then you are not going to be able to be real with it either. And sometimes relationships form, like I said, in a monopoly, but that's not your decision to make for your partner. That would be more of a result of your partner not desiring to be with another person other than you and is down for you having more than one partner. We don't get to decide that for them. And if we want more than one lover, what degree of closeness and intimacy do we expect and what do we offer? Has intimacy always been a problem for you? You know, have you avoided the depth? Have you avoided the real shit, the challenges that come with real relationships starting to form? And I don't mean just the beginning fairy tale butterfly unicorn phase, but I mean when, when we start taking the masks off and we get real. Now, I think this is crucial for every relationship and not just non-monogamy, but how much more powerful and satisfying our relationships could be if we looked at our own patterns we are bringing forth. Non-monogamy may be the best answer ever, or it can cause way more heartache and perpetuating bad habits and blind spots even more. So look at your own role in patterns of interaction in your past relationships. Understand the ways in which you try to protect yourself when you feel vulnerable, when you feel scared, when you feel triggered, and what are your vulnerabilities. I would encourage you to even think about your childhood. You know, what sort of messages did you develop about yourself and about your worth that you try to protect yourself in in relationships moving forward. Check out what specific actions by your partner that help to soothe and please and uplift you. Because when we know that, then we can give them tools in their toolbox to be able to help us moving forward when we get activated. And then truly learn to understand your own needs in terms of time, emotional availability, commitment, communication, and intimacy. Because if those are compromised, this is going to be a lot 
more of a difficult journey. Time management is everything. This is going to take a lot of work. It's not so easy. We can't just slide on in and expect everything to run smoothly. We are complex humans with all kinds of programming that are influencing how we react for the better and for the more difficult. And then educate yourself. Like read up on this so that you can avoid some of those common pitfalls that can happen in these relationships and you can navigate this or at least learn for yourself what you may be getting into. So some of my favorite books, More Than Two, Opening Up, Ethical Slut, The Polyamory Handbook, A User's Guide, and The Smart Girl's Guide to Polyamory. I honestly wouldn't recommend reading Sex at Dawn because there's counter arguments to it. Uh, Sex at Dusk was a really good book that counters the evidence that that was provided in it. But ultimately, who cares? Who cares where it came from? Personally, I'm going to say that. Who cares whether this was what we were evolutionarily designed for. There's actually evidence to support, you know, to support both biologically and not. And when we are making the decision to go into it beyond what everybody else in the world is designed to be or do, it ultimately matters what is right for us as individuals. We're way more complex than just our biology. So keep that in mind. Let me look at what is out there. Let me look at some frameworks of healthy polyamorous or open or non-monogamous relationships so that I can learn from those instead of just trying to convince myself and polarize the, the, the conversation of I'm right, you're wrong. When we decide that we want to enter into this, some of the challenges that we might run into to start And one of them might be, my partner doesn't want it. And you can't force someone to do something that they don't want. You also don't want to go ahead and do it and hope that they do some internal work to get over whatever social programming they are still under. And that, my friends, is a relationship trauma and will deeply impact your trust moving forward. Further, it's selfish as fuck. You've got to remember you're on the same team. And if this is something truly important to you to have while with this particular partner, then you've got to slow your roll and work with them. I suggest going to a non-monogamous informed therapist like myself, shameless promotion here, Someone who can help you lay down the foundation and really get to some of the the crevices of what is underneath there. Another challenge that we can run up against is rules and agreements. So I often tell people I to have rules in relationships can can be tricky. First of all, we can, when we say the word rules, a lot of us can contract because we've we've associated rules with the third grade when we were sent with the, to the principal's office because we broke one of the rules and where it creates more of a punishment ethos, right? If we don't maintain this rule, then we fucked up and we are going to be punished. But if we instead look at this as creating agreements, which has more of a positive connotation to it, meaning that we come, we decide where our line is 
and we come together to negotiate and agree upon this answer, then there's more empowerment there. We come together and we decide this, the two of us as a team. In that negotiation, we want to consider what is our boundaries as an individuals, and then what are our edges? So our boundaries are that hard line of, I cannot cross this. This is my fence. This is how much I can give and then no more. An edge is something that we can lean into and it'll be really uncomfortable, but we can lean into it and know that we'll be okay. So these are those times where, yeah, my stomach might drop and I feel really jealous and insecure, but it's, it's something I can sit with and I'll be okay. But if we cross a boundary, then that is not okay. And that is a relationship trauma. So when we can figure that out for ourselves to begin with, then we have something that we can move forward in and negotiate and come to an agreement on where there is a win-win and not a win-lose. Because the moment that one of us is not feeling good about that agreement, then we're no longer acting on the same team. We're still on the same team. We're just not acting on it. And that does not contribute to trust. That does not contribute to safety. And you're going to have a lot more of a difficult time moving forward with these types of relationships if that is playing in the background. Triggers or activations of our nervous system. This is going to happen. Like we're not going to enter into these relationships and expect this to be easy peasy or smooth sailing or that because we're so evolved humans, we're never going to feel jealousy. You are. And one of my favorite tools, actually, I'm going to throw out there, I created a masterclass around this exact topic. It's called Navigating Jealousy in Relationships. Check it out. I have a whole protocol on how you can move from reframing jealousy as something that is bad to something that can be a tool to help us evolve all the way through to self-soothing and partner soothing. So check that out link in my show notes. But when we get triggered, we can look at our basic human core needs that may or may not be met here. And so I like to break this down into six A's and that's appreciation, affection, acceptance, allowance, attention, and availability. When one of those is not being met, then our internal survival system kicks on and says, me, 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 alarm, alarm, threat, threat, threat. And we can pause and self-inquire or partner inquire what may be going on here. What isn't being met that would make you feel insecure, you know, not safe. Make efforts to really see and be there with your partner. Don't try to prove them wrong and you right. Everyone is going to lose at that point. Instead, practice empathy, which is feeling with your partner and putting yourself in their shoes. Practice validation, which means seek out the nugget of truth in their story that you can connect with, that you can validate, that you can see as, oh, that makes sense. And appreciation, which is acknowledging the efforts of our partner towards us and the relationship. And these, my friends, 
can help you go so far in the co-creation and the collaboration of whatever form of relationship you two decide on together. Now let's talk about the other people, the third, the fourth, the fifth. Remember, these are human hearts that you are engaging in. Take such good care of them and don't be reckless with these hearts. The third you are involving has feelings too. And if we shut down the situation, close it off, when it gets challenging or cut them out of decisions that involve them and their body, their needs, their feelings, their desires, then we are no longer ethical and we are being reckless and selfish. This is not play at your own risk. This is let me hold and consider and empower us all. Think of it this way. Three keys to supporting an empowered relationship dynamic, honesty, consent, and agency for all. Honesty. Tell everyone the fucking truth. Connect with your own internal experience and be open about what's coming up for you. Consent. Consent is about you, your body, your mind, and your choices. Your consent is required to access what is yours. The people around you have their agency. They do not need your consent to act because you do not own their bodies, their minds, or choices. But if their behavior crosses into your personal space, then they need your consent. Honesty is the indispensable part of consent. This is telling everyone the fucking truth about what's coming up for you so that they can make the decisions for themselves what they would like. And then agency is respecting their ability to choose, even if it's not what we would choose, because we can't consent if we do not have a choice empowering people to make their own choices is actually the best way to have our own needs met as well. People who are who feel disempowered can become dangerous, like a tiger in a cage. Now, we need to still communicate our needs and honest about the consequences of their action and what that will be so that we equip them to be able to meet those needs and that succeeds more often than attempting to restrict or coerce another into meeting those needs. So an example of this would be I had a partner who on his trip back from from work, he expressed that he wanted to change our plans of going out on a date night to go and see this other person who was new to his life. And I expressed to him you know, that doesn't feel good for me. What I, what would feel really good for me is for us to keep the plans that we have because I had held space for that those plans and I was really looking forward to them and it would make me feel good for us to connect first before you go out. Also, you have freedom to do whatever feels right for you. Just know that the consequence of this is probably going to be that I'm not going to feel very good and I'm not going to feel open. And he was able to make his decision. 
So there I'm expressing what my internal experience is, what my need is, what the consequence might be, and not from a place of manipulation or coercion, but simply expressing, you know, it's going to be hard for me. And this is, this is how I'm feeling. And you still have the option to choose. You're fully free. I'm not taking anything off. But now you have the power to make that decision for yourself. And that's intimacy. Showing the other person what's internal for you. And that also means we're not testing our partner. So we can't hold it against them if they make their their own decision. We can't say, oh, you made the wrong decision. You fucked up. No, we can't test them like that. We, but we do have to be honest. Now, the next one, the next challenge to be aware of is be aware of NRE or new relationship energy. This is that period of time with all the butterflies, the single mind focus, the inability to concentrate on anything else, which is natural to the beginning of any sort of love relationship, right? Do not, and I repeat, do not make any major life decisions or operate heavy machinery while you are under the influence of this drug. Our perceptions are off and we are idealizing what is there, oftentimes not seeing the reality of the whole picture. So just be mindful as you proceed. Many a person have fallen the trap of this NRE including in my own relationships, and it can be destructive for yourself, for the relationships. If you leave your primary partner for another person during NRE, what you may discover is as time progresses, the reality of the person sets in and you realize they're not as perfect as you thought. Whoops. In addition, as a partner of the person who's experiencing NRE, don't worry so much. Time and attention with you may ebb and flow, and that's natural, even if it's so uncomfortable. So be sure to be present with your needs and vocalize them. Remembering, reminding yourself, then NRE goes through its own phase, and just like all other relationships, will be less intense with time. So important Do not distance yourself or engage in unconscious behaviors to sabotage, but rather really be there for yourself and communicate. Now, because of this is an alternative style of relationships and we don't have so many uh, examples out there for us to look to, there are also so many misconceptions around this. So let's take a look at what's being talked about out there. One statement I hear often is that non-monogamous people don't experience jealousy. This is false. They do. This is a very human experience and we all experience jealousy. It, it comes up, right? And we can get activated on, for so many levels and we can fall under the trap of the pressure of being the perfect partner, being the perfect non-monogamous partner by ignoring that those feelings are there or by minimizing them or by not speaking to them. Because I swear to God, they will build as resentment, they will build as pain, and as a pressure cooker, it, it doesn't do anybody any good. Second misperception. 
What do we do about the children? You fucking raise the kids. And just because you have multiple loves in your relationship doesn't mean that it's a going to fuck up the kids or that it's, you know, that you can't do that. At that point, you have to shut it all down. Not necessarily. There are so many loving families out there who raise kids with multiple partners. Third, non-monogamy prevents cheating from occurring because everything is out there and in the open. False. Cheating still happens. Even if you identify as having an open relationship, there are reasons, there are underlying reasons that cheating happens. And so this really doesn't prevent it from happening. It's not a surefire way. Number four, being non-monogamous opens you up to the potential for more STDs. Perhaps in the sense that you are having more partners than just a single one with whom you are clear on their status, yet if partners are safe, regularly getting tested after new partners and taking care of themselves, if they do become positive, then there doesn't need to be a reason to worry. Unlike what we've been taught in grade school elementary, STDs are not a destructive factor in your liberated sex life. It's not over. It may actually ground you more into being more conscious and choosy of who you pick as your partners moving forward, but it doesn't have to end at all. Listen to my episode 60, where we talk about herpes as an opportunity. Number five, non-monogamy is how we are biologically designed and monogamy is a social construction. False again. There's been such a polarized conversation here with people taking sides that I honestly don't believe is productive and further separates us from one another. There's evidence to suggest biological ability for both. We read books like Sex at Dawn or The Counter Argument in Sex at Dusk, and we must remember that research is biased. As much as we'd like to think what's presented out there is objective, we must consider the source, the funding, and the angle that's being presented. Further, the issue here is that we are not simply biological creatures. We are complex compilation of everything we've experienced in our lives, messages, emotions, hormones, lifestyles, careers, and so much more, all of which determine what is most right for each of us as an individual. Then there's a lot of talk in the conscious community, quote unquote, this bullshit at about one being more evolved than the other. Fuck that. What's more evolved is not which style of relationship, but more of how you show up in the relationship that is more evolved. So in other words, do yourself work and show the fuck up. All right. So I posted this question to IG and some of you gave me some of your questions about non-monogamy. So I'm stoked to dive into this because this is what makes the material for my podcast for you. So question number one we have, when your partner is kind of open to it and it also brings up so much difficulty to work through, yeah, It's going to take a lot of work for you no matter what. Even for those of us who now have great relationships that are open, we all were beginners and working through our fears, our programming, our triggers, and that's part of the process. So I'd ask, 
What has been your process to actually going deep into it all rather than just dealing with it as it comes? What have you read? How do you both communicate and validate and negotiate? How well do you know your own vulnerabilities and theirs as well as what soothes them and you? Do you journal? Do you constantly seek perspective or struggles of your partner rather than holding an image of how they're wrong, insecure, or not being a part of the team? Do you pull away subconsciously or consciously when they get triggered? Perhaps even working with a therapist to help start out and creating that strong foundation can be helpful. Okay, it will be helpful to start a foundation in a container that is safe with a third-party professional like me as a therapist to help guide you through that. Question two, does it ever get easier? Oh my God, this is such a good question. People ask me this all the time, especially my clients who first start working with me. They're like, does this get easier? Is this this a clear sign that this isn't for you? If it is authentically true for you, you aren't minimizing what's true for you and both are doing the work, then yes, it can get easier because you are gaining new evidence to suggest the container you've created is strong and trustworthy amid the unknown. No, if you continue to deny your internal process or don't gain new skills to both regulate yourself and your partner when you get activated or that co-regulation for each other to create greater intimacy. So having that balance of self and other to be able to help us navigate this. It can't just be one or the other. Question three, why do I still get that knot in my stomach when she's with someone else? Normal. I do too sometimes. And instead of ignoring it, we witness it and speak to it vulnerably. Ooh, (laughs) there's a flutter I'm feeling. Or, oh wow, I suddenly felt this knot of jealousy. I don't feel the desire to take this off the table or stop you. I'm just noticing that it's here, that this is coming up for me right now. Or we can journal about it too, to see what the reasons that it may be arising. Like I said earlier, I made an online masterclass exploring how to navigate jealousy and relationships. So I put the link in the show notes. It's actually a really powerful tool, this jealousy, or this not in your stomach, quote unquote, that I've learned to harness and evolve myself and my love rather than to shame and and ignore it. Question four, am I non-monogamous versus just being another guy wanting more sex? (laughs) Oh my God, I'm loving this so fucking much. The self-inquiry questions above might help you to answer that. Non-monogamy requires a lot of work and talking about our feelings and creating space for our partner to be with other people too. So noting what our responses to those things can be helpful in identifying whether it's something that we want to do. It can get messy. And if we find ourselves moving on when it gets tough, then we may want to consider that we may be using sex with other people as a way to deal with stress or avoid intimacy. Not always, but still something to consider. Why am I doing this? Why am I interested in this? And do I feel good about that answer? Question five or more of a statement. (laughs) My husband left me after 11 years for his poly girlfriend and I can't forgive myself for trying it. Oof, baby. Sometimes that happens. 
I've had partners leave me too. And honestly, honest, that breakup was a breakthrough. As I discovered more about myself and came out so much more in my power because I faced the very thing I was afraid of, which was them leaving me. And on the other side, I realized I was not only still alive, but I was free to explore who I was now outside of that relationship with all the lessons and the skills I learned while being in it. And I realized on the other side that that relationship actually wasn't to my highest good. But I had a constant layer of nervous system activation and fear rather than feeling so safe and held in that relationship because it wasn't a strong container. And it took me a really long time to get real about that. So he actually did me a favor and I came out the other side fucking fabulous. And we're actually still friends. (laughs) Not for everybody. (laughs) Check out my episode on whether it's a good idea to be friends with your ex. And we have to remember, people cheat or leave no matter if we are in a poly situation or in a monogamous relationship. We think it's because of the poly, but when we look closer, we can discover more about ourselves that we can evolve and make better moving forward. Question six, is jealousy at times normal? Hell to the fucking yes for all of us. Compersion is the experience where we are happy for our partner being in love or having their own happy, sexy, playful experiences. But even for those of us who have been in partnership for a long time can still feel it. And it can be a powerful tool because it can help us identify some of our basic human needs that aren't being met at that moment and have them more easily be met by ourselves or by the other person so we can move forward with less crunch. I made a masterclass on it. Check it out. Question seven, how to separate the emotion from being in a non-monogamous relationship? You don't. That's the last thing that you do. Feel the feels and vulnerably share and or journal. There is no other way. You don't separate yourself from the emotional experience because otherwise you store it. It turns into resentment or it turns into distance. And these are the antithesis to intimacy. Question eight, non-monogamy requires transparency between all parties, not just to some of them, correct? Well, depends on what you and your partner and your lovers decide around transparency. Some people don't want details, some do. But what I will say, like I mentioned in the show, we have to have honesty in order to allow for true consent to occur. I find transparency to be the best option for me and my partners. That way there is no space for any stories to be created in the imagination of our minds and we can create deeper trust and a stronger container in which we can experience difficult moments and emotions. There have also been relationships where at the start I told my partner I wanted to know who and when he was with, but the details of the specific acts I wasn't ready for yet. So that changed with time and as our trust built and as the relationship evolved. And so ultimately that conversation and that decision is going to be up to you and those that are involved. Um, also transparency and around it processing. So say you and your partner are processing some, some heavy 
shit, you know, and <laughs> what level of comfort do you two have of that, of sharing that with your lovers? And so do you decide if it impacts the lovers that you share it, share it outside or none of that is shared? And that's going to be up to you. Further transparency can also be really powerful because we get to view and connect with the internal experiences of ourselves and of one another to deepen the intimacy and make better decisions. Question nine, how do you know you can allow your partner the freedom or that you are avoiding intimacy? Avoiding intimacy is the act of not speaking to your internal process and holding space for each other, validating and empathizing and self and partner soothing. We can still have and give freedom while speaking to what we need in order to feel loved and secure. I would say we experience greater freedom when we have that strong container of trust that they and we will be there for them through their human experiences. Some have told me that opening a relationship impacts the level of depth and intimacy in which we can achieve. And I believe that that could be possible if we aren't connecting to our internal process and speaking to what's true and what we need. In my experience, freedom was always something that I prized so much to give to my partners and myself. However, we need to be really conscious to our boundaries as well. Boundaries are a form of love and create the structure that we need to direct the flow of action by learning what is loving and caring for ourselves and communicating this, by becoming experts of our partner's vulnerabilities and what soothes them, and by being connected with our hearts and conscious to our choices that we make. We are creating a greater form of intimacy and freedom, and we're not limiting the freedom. I think there's so much conversation out there of, you know, if you set your boundaries and that prevents freedom, but I would so strongly argue that I believe that within the structure that we create in this container uh, with boundaries, we can ha be so free flowing. We just know what the edges are. We know what the end points are so that we can move within that without hopefully doing damage. All right, my loves. Now I know that this was a flyby episode and I get that. Think of this more of like a taste test for you to ponder and share with your partner if this is something that you'd like to start a conversation about because it's worth having that conversation if you have a strong curiosity. Maybe you even use third-party objects that are outside of the relationship to draw the conversation to like <coughs> um, this <coughs> podcast or referring to shows on TV like Big Love or I, I don't know what else is out there, polyamory shows or other podcast episodes or articles, or even conversations that your friends bring up around open relationships, because it can actually, it can also having these conversations around, what do we decide to design for our relationship so that we can make this ours and not just some assumption that we're riding along. Lovers, I wanna thank you again for tuning in. And if you enjoyed the show, please head to eatplaysex.com, subscribe to the show, connect with me, and grab my sexy guides. Because my goal here is to get you to eat, play, and sex better. So you can improve your sex life, 
which will improve every aspect of your life. I'll see you next time on Eat Play Sex. Thanks for tuning in, lovers. Don't forget to subscribe to the channel. You can find out more about our guests and topics from our show by checking out eatplaysex.com. Until next time, don't forget to nourish your sex life.